We're going to be in Matthew chapter 13 today. Let me read the text and then I'll pray. Um, Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would anoint me as I preach your word. And just as we're reading about seed and soil, Lord, I pray that our, our, our hearts would be good soil to receive whatever you want to say to us today. Because I do believe you're speaking through your word today, as you always do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's just begin. I just want to work my way through it. The title of this message is this, give it time. Give it time. Do you ever say that to anyone? Just give it time. They're in a rush to do something? Give it time. They're anxious about something? Just give it time. Well, today I want to say to you, give it time. Verse 24, Jesus told them another parable. Jesus told stories. He told uh, the, the, these illustrations of the kingdom because the kingdom was hard for people to grasp and there were some people who just couldn't get it. And, and, and people remember stories. And so Jesus was telling these stories. And in Matthew 13, we have seven different stories about the kingdom of God. Because Jesus came to bring the kingdom. He came not just to preach it, but to demonstrate it. Not just to talk about it, but to show it through healings and miracles and deliverances and by setting people free. And that's the calling of the church. That we're not just to be here who declare the word. We're here to be those who demonstrate the word. Who practically show what God can do. And it says, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God uh, is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. And later on, it's one of the few parables that Jesus actually explains. And he, just, he tells us that, that Jesus is the sower and the field is the world. And the good seed are the righteous. It's the people of God. In the previous parable of the sower, the good seed was the word of God. Here, the good seed is actually the people of God. You, if you're a believer, God calls you good seed. Because everything God creates is good. And it says he sowed good seed in the world. In other words, he takes his people and he places us in the world. Now, there's Christians who would like to retreat from the world. There's Christians who don't want to go anywhere near the world. But God actually says, no, I want you to infiltrate the world because you are good seed. My people are not called to be in a holy huddle exclusively behind the walls of the church singing, come by, yeah, and waiting for Jesus to come back. We are supposed to be infiltrating and integrating into the world, not to be like the world, but to be those who bring God's kingdom into the world. God created a perfect world. It is good, and he puts us in the world to make an impact. 
And he's intentional. He planted good seed. It didn't just happen randomly. And he plants you in a particular place. And you might hate your job. And you might not like living in Lurgan. But God has probably planted you in your job. And you can always move from Lurgan. No, God planted, it says in Acts 17, God determined the times and places in which you would live. And so it doesn't, it might seem random. It might seem that you're only here because your, your parents whatever but 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 you are here by God's design and by divine choice that God put you in this place at this time because he wants you to do something in the world you're planted in a particular place God sowed you here and it says he sowed a seed because everything God does happens by seed form it doesn't say God sowed a harvest It says he sowed a seed. And a seed and a harvest aren't the same, but one leads to the other. You see, when you pray for a tree, God gives you a seed. And it's very easy to look at the thing that you're praying for and say, God, that's not what I prayed for. And God says, it is. You just need to look after it. You just need to steward it well. You just need to tend to it. You pray for something big and God gives you something small and you look at it and go, oh, that's disappointing. You pray, Lord, if you if you were to give me a thousand pounds, I would give a hundred pounds to the church. And God gives you ten pounds and you go, well, I'm not giving anything. And God says, what if you give a pound? What if you tithe the ten pounds, maybe? Maybe. You see, it's very important for us to realize that everything, you started as a seed. Everything God does starts as a seed. And it's very easy to dismiss the seed because it's small and it's insignificant. Elijah prayed for rain. What did God send? A cloud the size of a man's hand. That wasn't rain, but it was a sign that the rain was coming. When you pray for a a, a tree, God sends a seed. Never despise the day of small beginnings. What you sow is what you grow. Verse 25. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. Do you notice when the enemy appeared? The enemy did not appear until God started sowing good seed. The enemy had no interest in the field until God started working in that field. And very often, if not always, when God is working in a life, when God is working in a situation, it's not long before the enemy shows up. Because God is intentional, the enemy is also intentional. The enemy didn't go to just any old field. He's picked the specific field that God had planted the seed in. Have you ever found that when you try to do something good, when you try to make a difference, when you try to impact the world, when you try to change something in your life, when you try to do something for the kingdom of God, opposition shows up, criticism shows up, problems show up, obstacles show up. And you start thinking to yourself, maybe I shouldn't be doing it. Maybe it's wrong. Maybe God's not blessing it. Maybe it's not the right thing to do. Or maybe the very presence of the enemy is a sign that it's actually good seed. That the presence of the enemy doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It actually means that you're doing something right. It says that while everyone was sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. And then the enemy went away. So everybody's sleeping and the enemy slips in. You see, the enemy isn't obvious. Wouldn't it be wonderful if Satan showed up like in a, in a red outfit with horns and a pitchfork? 
It would be really easy to discern the activity of the enemy. No, while everyone was sleeping, the enemy slips in, he sows seed, and then he goes away. And the next morning they all get up and everything looks exactly the same as it did before because it's just seeds that have been planted. He picks the field, he picks the place where God is working and he can't destroy the seed that God has planted but he tries to intermingle his work with the work of God. And isn't that what we see? That the enemy cannot destroy the work of God in your life. The Bible says in First Timothy or First Peter two that you are born again of an incorruptible seed. He can't destroy the work of God in your life, but what he can do is try to intermingle things with it. He can try to put an environment around it that will stop it from flourishing and growing properly. And the seeds that the enemy plants in our lives, just like the seeds plant, God plants, start small. They don't seem that big. They're insignificant. Small decisions, small choices, text messages to somebody, connecting with somebody that you shouldn't connect with. And you get up the next day and your life looks the same. And you keep those text messages and you keep following this path and you keep making these decisions and you keep going down this direction. And nothing seems to change until the seed starts to grow. And then one day you look at your life and you go, how did I end up here? How did I get to this place? Because you didn't plant the tree, you planted the seed and you kept watering it and now you're reaping what you have sown. You see, the presence of the enemy in your life, the presence of attacks, the presence of opposition doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. I was reading on the BBC News thing and there was a programme about it I think a week or two ago about Tamara Eccleston getting her diamonds stolen. Did anybody see that? That, uh, I mean, bless her, dear lover. Um, she had diamonds at home and, uh, worth 26 million. And she's away at the Lapland. She puts on the social media, she's going to Lapland, and the thieves go, empty house. And, uh, and they break in and steal 26 million worth of jewels from her house. And, uh, and I thought to myself, if there was a homeless shelter down the road, why didn't they break in there? Because it was nothing worth stealing. The thieves only break in where there's something valuable. And when there's enemy attack in your life, I don't know about you, but I tend to get discouraged. I think I'm doing something wrong. I start to second guess myself. I start to question myself. I start to think maybe I should just give up. Maybe the enemy attack just means that there's something valuable there that the enemy wants to steal. Because he has only got one purpose. It's to steal, kill, and destroy. When the enemy shows up in your life, it normally doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It means he's trying to quench the work of God because you're doing something right. The enemy always attacks the work of God. And the activity of the enemy is a sign that God is at work there. Verse 26. When the weeds sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. So at the beginning, when the seeds were planted, there was no difference. But then the seeds started to grow. And it was only then that they could tell the difference. You see, the scholars and, and agriculturists have, have talked about the sort of seeds that, that Jesus talks about here. And they're not your normal type of weeds. It was a, 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 a seed called a, a darnel, or darnel, darnel. And, and, and it, when it grew, it looked almost exactly like wheat. 
for the first 80% of its growth, it was almost indistinguishable from wheat. But then once it reached its, about 80% of its growth, you started to look and go, that doesn't look like the same color as wheat. And, 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 the, and, and the grains aren't the same size and the leaves are slightly different on it. And that's when you discovered it was a weed. But it looked incredibly similar at first. And very often when the enemy attacks our lives, it looks like something good at first. It looks like something appealing at first. It looks like no big deal at first. But once it grows, once it develops, once it starts to sprout, that's when we go, that is not what I wanted to grow in my life. And it's the same with people. You know, on the surface, when we meet people, it takes time before we figure out their true nature and character. Girls, you can date a guy, and I guarantee you for the first 17 dates, you will only see wheat. He will show you wheat, 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 wheat. You marry that guy, you will see weeds. Okay? It takes time. It takes time. Because at the start, we can all put on a surface. On the surface, they looked the same. It was only over time that the difference began to be distinguished. And notice that the enemy didn't rip out the good seed. He just attacked the environment that the good seed was in. See, the enemy, like I said, can't destroy the work of God. He can't destroy what God has done in your life. He can't destroy what Jesus has purchased for you. He can't destroy what the blood of Jesus has done for you. But what he can do is put people and situations and circumstances around you that rob the joy of that, that steal the the peace of that. What he does is he surrounds you with bad seed that takes the nourishment that you could have and it actually steals your nourishment so that you don't flourish the way you should. That's how the enemy works. He surrounds you with temptation and opposition and criticism and negativity and he plants other things in your environment that are designed to sabotage what God wants to do because he's trying to restrict the harvest or devalue the harvest in your life. Verse 27, the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? And you can almost hear an accusation in this. You sowed stuff and it's turned out bad. And isn't that what sometimes people do with God? When bad things happen in the world, when there's disaster, when there's sickness, when there's suffering, when there's war, how could God let this happen? God, you created the world. How could you let this happen? And God is speaking to us here and he said, I didn't. I created everything good, but the enemy has infiltrated what I have created that is good. And he has infected it and polluted it with evil. And we're going to see what he does about that in a minute. But the enemy came into God's field and we accuse that we accuse God when it's the enemy's work because the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus said I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. I'm flying through these first few verses because I want to really focus on the last few so I'm skimming over. Don't think I'm, I'm, I'm neglecting some of the points here but just, I really want to focus on the last two or three verses. Uh, Jesus says, an enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? So the weeds have appeared 
And the servants come to the owner and they say, these weeds are here. Do you want us to go and rip them up immediately? Because they're men. And men want to fix things quickly. We were staying in a house in the North Coast last week that we'd rented online from, well, we've kind of got to know the people now. And you know, on the first or second day, I noticed that there were some in the living room floor, there were these wee, wee stains, wee marks across the floor. Now, I know we didn't do them. No, I actually do. I know you're laughing thinking, yeah, you did. No, I know we didn't. I know we didn't. But you know what? I began to obsess about those. And I, I, I started getting the wet wipes out. Aren't in there and clean cloth out. I, it wasn't my problem. I know I didn't do them because we hadn't carried anything across the part of the carpet where they were. It was obviously the people before us whose kid had carried something across and they had spilt something. But I felt it was my responsibility to fix it because as men we want to fix things. I was doing marriage prep recently with a couple and we were talking about this. And the, and, and, and the wife to be was talking about her frustration because when she has a problem and she's had a hard day at work and she comes home and she tells her fiancé about the problem, he immediately does what we do. We want, we, like, she, like she, in great detail, they're, they're telling us about every intimate, intricate moment of that day and within 13 seconds, we know the solution. And so we go, oh, you just do this. Why didn't you do that? And they get really angry at us. And you're like, why are you angry? This is what you do. They do this, you do this, problem solved. And they get really mad. And you're like, why? Because they just wanted you to listen to them. Ladies, am I right? Am I right? Man, that was for free, okay? Make tides able to Craig Cooney. No, seriously, that was a freebie for you. Well, no, like I, I, when I'm not good because I'm a fixer. When somebody comes to me with a problem, I'm immediately thinking how I can fix it. Very often it's not about fixing, it's just about listening. Just listen to her and give her a hug, man. I guarantee that will turn out to be a better night than if you, than if you pipe in with 43 solutions to her problem. I guarantee. And you know what? If she's telling you every detail, nod and say yes now and again. It works wonders. You can be somewhere else in your head, but just say yes. Oh, it's terrible. That's awful. I'm so sorry. But we're fixers. We're fixers. And the men here, the, the, the people, the farmers want to fix it. They're like, well, let's just rip the thing out. I can't stand the presence of weeds. Let's just rip them out because that's how we fix things. I want to just rip it out. It's the most obvious, immediate solution. And that's what I would want to do. Because I don't like weeds in my life. I don't like things that aren't the things that I want to have there. I don't like the presence of certain things. I don't like the tension of having unresolved issues. I don't like that when there's something there that I know I'm going to have to deal with. I just want to deal with it today and get it done with. Because I will obsess on it and I will think about it and I would far rather resolve it immediately and rip the thing out and have it done with and have to wait. I need to sort this out. I don't like looking at the weeds. I can't relax while the weeds are there. And we want to separate things too early. Last week again we were up at the coast and we were in tides one night having dinner and we were under this bright light and Becky went, what's that in your hand? And I went, what? And there were these brown spots had appeared on just one of my hands on the fingers and here. Did you say age spots? I will, I will excommunicate you right now. Bouncers. That's what my wife said too. So we're sitting in tides. The phones are out. 
her phone's out, my phone's out, Elijah's looking at us like, what are you doing? And by the end of the day, Becky thought it was age spots. I thought it was somewhere between cancer and monkey pox. Okay? <laughs> I am convincing myself that I've got about, I mean, I am telling her, you know, where the well, like, where, where, the, where the life insurance is. Like, we've got it all sorted out. And I am stressed. I'm thinking, I need to get this sorted out. And I'm, I, I can't relax. I can't enjoy my, my, my chicken goujons because I'm just obsessing with my, like these two, three little spots on my fingers which aren't age spots and I, but I'm just like I'm just obsessing by them and I'm, I'm thinking the worst and I'm trying and I'm, next day I'm going to go to the doctor I'm going to go to the hospital maybe, maybe they'll have to take off the arm or the hand or you know and I just want to, I want to sort the whole thing out 22 hours later they were gone completely and they haven't returned <laughs> but how much do we want to panic and deal with things too quickly and sometimes we need to just give it time. Give it time. Because not everything that looks a certain way now will look that way in 22 hours, Jenny. There's a wisdom in waiting. Leave it alone. And that's exactly what Jesus says here. He says, no, don't rip them up. Because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. He said, if you destroy, if you're, if you're trying to get rid of the wheat right now, you will also, or if you're trying to get rid of the weeds, because underneath the surface the roots are intertwined, you will destroy the wheat as well. So give it time. Give it time. He's not saying don't ever touch it. He's saying give it time. Leave it alone. It's not that what you're doing is wrong or bad. It's just the timing isn't right. And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between wheat and weeds for a while. Sometimes it's very easy to look at something and go, that's a weed. But if we just give it time, we discover that it's wheat. Again, girls, you know that. Some of the guys you're married to, you looked at them and they were weeds. But you know what? You gave them a bit of time and you discovered they were wheat. There was more to them that met the eye. There was something there that you began to get. They looked like a weed, but they were weeds. And sometimes we think things are wheat, but they turn out to be weeds. And it's only time that tells. Nothing grows overnight. Some things take time. Those of us who are perfectionists, who like everything lined up, sorted out, eyes dotted, T's crossed, struggle with this. Because we see a weed and we stress about the weed. We get focused about the weed. We Google the weed. We buy books about the weed. How to get rid of the weed. And God says, just give it time. You actually don't know what that is yet. We get so impatient because we don't like uncertainty at loose ends. Again, I feel like I'm using a lot of dating illustrations here. But uncertainty and impatience can kill more relationships in the early stage than anything else. Girls, guys, girls, guys. There's a guy you like. You go on a date. He's got all his own teeth. He's got a job. Potential. You want to see him again. You arrange to go out with him the following Saturday night. Tuesday comes and he drops you a text at lunchtime. But you're busy. You've stuff to do. Two hours later, you haven't texted him back. He texts you again. 
The first time's kind of sweet. 47 text messages later, you're like, this guy's a psycho. Why? Because he couldn't control his impulses. He was impatient. And you get the ick, as they call it. That's the new word the kids are using, when you get the ick. Because in his impatience, he couldn't just let it develop naturally. He had to keep forcing it. He had to keep pushing it. He had to keep texting. He had to get it done. And he ruined the whole thing. And sometimes in our impatience, our desire to have everything resolved in our hearts and minds, because we can't live with the tension of, of it not being perfect inside us, we end up destroying the whole thing. I've seen it happen with people buying houses. Oh, the market keeps going up. How price, house prices keep going up. I mean, if I don't get on the property ladder now, I'm never going to get on it. And you end up buying a house and spending more money. And then six months later, the same house is £80,000 less. Because you didn't have patience to give it time. And I believe what Jesus is saying to us here, there are some things that just take time. You want to judge something immediately, but some things just take time. I'm writing another book at the minute and it's 40 chapters. It's going to be a Monday 25 at the minute. And about four chapters in, one or two very helpful people from across the world decided to send me all my mistakes that I was making and all the typos and all the spelling mistakes. And they said, and they were, trying to, they were genuinely trying to be helpful. And they said, you want us to send you these for every chapter that you write? And I said, you know what, I love what you're doing and that will be super helpful, but please don't send them until the book is finished. Because if you keep sending me my mistakes, I will spend more time focusing on fixing the mistakes than I will writing the book. And when we obsess about the weeds, we become experts in weeds, we, we spend more time obsessing about the weeds than we do growing the wheat. I used to go when I was a kid to a thing called Manifest in the Ulster Hall. Youth for Christ. Anybody remember Manifest? Yeah, I loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. And uh, I used to always get the tapes in of the talk, especially if there was a good talk. got the tapes. That's how old I am. I got the tape. Not the MP3, not the CD. I got the tape. And I would listen to the tapes. Over. And I, I remember years later I was talking to the, the director of Youth for Christ and I said, what's the What's the most popular tape you ever had? And he said it was a talk called How Not to Be a Christian Hypochondriac. And I was at that meeting and I remember the talk. And I thought it was fascinating. And the guy's point was this. Remember actually some of us came showing our age here. Remember the, 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 the ad that used to be on TV, Doctor, Doctor, can I have a prescription? Like somebody who always needs a prescription for something. A Christian hypochondriac is somebody like that. They always have something wrong with them. They always have a major issue in their lives. There's always some flaw, always some problem, always some drama. And they're so focused on their sin and their weakness and their, uh, and their, their, their struggles and their battles that they're just, they're just completely obsessed with that. And because they're so obsessed with the, the, the weeds in their life, they never focus on the weight in their life. And I'm not saying there's not a time or place to deal with sin, okay? I'm not saying ignore sin. What I'm saying is this, that the way to live in a Christ, an effective Christian life is not to be obsessed by the sin in your life. 
Because that's what I do. I am so aware of the weeds in my life. But if I were to spend my entire life trying to pluck up weeds, I would never grow any wheat. It would be like trying to be faithful to my trying to trying to grow in my love for my wife by being determined not to commit adultery. That's what it's like. That's what we do as Christians. We laugh, but that's what we do. We get so obsessed with not sinning, thinking that's going to bring us closer to God. You know how I get closer to my wife? By focusing on my wife. I don't get closer to God by focusing on sin. I've tried it. I've tried it. I've tried it. It doesn't work. I don't defeat the sin in my life by focusing on the sin in my life. I defeat the sin in my life by focusing on Jesus. By focusing on the finished work of Jesus. By focusing on the love of Jesus. The holiness of Jesus. The righteousness of Jesus. The goodness of God. I I, I, I deal with the junk in my life by not focusing on the junk. But by fixing my attention and my affection on the goodness and the character and the nature of God. And as I gaze upon him and as I fix my attention and my affection on him. I look at that stuff and I go, ugh. Why would I want that? Why would I want anything to come in between where I am with him? As I fix my attention on my wife and how beautiful she is and how great she is, I go, why would I want a burger when I've got fillet steak at home? (laughs) Oh, yes, this is going to be a good day in the Cooney house. Um, (laughs) Becky's parents watch this and I always get into trouble afterwards. But we get so focused on the weeds. We get obsessed with the weeds. Let's pluck, we need to pluck out every weed. And we're so focused on the weeds that the wheat never gets a chance to go. And God doesn't put us here to, 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 to tear up weeds. He puts us here to grow wheat. He puts us here to make a difference. He puts us here to make an impact. He puts us here that we would bear fruit. The presence of weeds will never cancel out the power of wheat. The weeds will always be there. You could spend every day plucking out weeds and you know what? The weeds will come back. The weeds will always be there. But just because weeds are there doesn't mean the wheat isn't good. The presence of the weeds will never cancel out the power of the wheat. Both grew. It's not that the weeds grew and the wheat died. The wheat can still grow even when it's surrounded by weeds. And the work of God can still flourish in the presence of evil, in the presence of sin, in the presence of flaws, in the presence of imperfections. But many Christians become weed hunters. We make it our mission to pull out weeds. We make it our mission to protest weeds. We make it our mission to, to write uh, petitions about weeds. And you know, there's a time and a place for all of that, but our mission on earth is not to dig out weeds. It is to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. Focus on what God has placed in your life. Focus on his nature and work. And like I say, we all have weakened weeds in our lives, don't we? We're all a mixture. We all have good and bad in our hearts. We all have flaws and failures and strengths and positives. Our kids, they're a mixture of wheat and weeds. Our marriages are a mixture of wheat and weeds. Our work, our jobs are a mixture of wheat and weeds. This church 
is a mixture of wheat and weeds. And there's a weed on the front row here who said I had agent spots. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to have to let it go. But here's the key. Can you celebrate the wheat while you're still looking at the weeds? You see, I have weeds in my life. I know it's hard to believe. I have weeds in my life. But you see, if you were to talk to my wife, she will never mention the weeds. Not because she's blind to them. Apart from me, my wife is more aware of the weeds in my life than any of you are. But she will never call out the weeds in my life. She speaks to the wheat. Because what you focus on grows. I'm aware of the weeds. But by her speaking to the wheat, it makes me want to have more wheat. And it makes me want to deal with the weeds. That's really good wisdom for marriage, husbands and wives. Your husband, your wife will have weeds. Hopefully they don't have weed at home. That's a whole different issue altogether. (laughs) Even if it's for medicinal purposes. But they will have weeds in their heart. There will be imperfections. There will be things about them that you wish you could change. You can spend your marriage focusing and calling out and complaining and nagging them about the weeds. And I can tell you that is going to be a miserable marriage. Or you can look at the wheat and you can go, you know what, you're brilliant at that. You're wonderful at that. You're so good at that. I'm doing that with my son. Parents, your children have a mixture of wheat and weeds. And even in terms of like, there's things they're good at and things they're not good at. You know, last year our boy Elijah, he was doing rugby and he was doing jiu-jitsu. And we were making him go to rugby and we didn't have to make him go to jiu-jitsu. Do you know what we decided by the end of the year? Scrap the rugby. Because he was never going to be good at rugby. He was only going to be average. But you see jiu-jitsu? He just took to it like that. We could keep making him go to the weed every week. But why not focus on the weed? Why not focus on the place where he's going to excel? We could criticize him. Why can't you catch the ball? Or we can say, oh, you're doing amazing the way you threw that kid down and nearly killed him in jiu-jitsu. Well done, son. Well done, son. Well done, son. The problem is we get so focused on the weeds that the wheat never gets a chance to grow. You know, back in the Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards, some of you might have heard of him. When God was moving powerfully across the world and the, 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 the Wesleys and the Whitefields and... There was a lot of things happening. There was God was moving. People were getting saved. But there was, people were falling over. People were laughing. People were manifesting. People were screaming in the meetings. Some of you were around in the mid-90s. It was a bit like that. The Toronto. It was a bit, but that was, this was 150 years ago. It was happening the same thing. And people went to Jonathan Edwards. He was very reformed and very cerebral and very austere. And they said, how can you let this happen? And he said, you know what? I don't like it either. But I'm afraid that if I quench that, I'll quench the work of God as well. If I keep trying to pull out the weeds that I don't like in this revival, I'll end up killing the revival completely. So he said, I'm just going to let it be. And let God sort it out. And that's really good wisdom for some of us right now who are very aware of weeds in certain parts of our lives, in our marriages, in our homes, in our church, in our jobs. You can spend your life weed hunting, or you can look and go, where's the weed here? Because that's what I'm going to nourish. That's what I'm going to cultivate. That's what I'm going to focus on. 
I love what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah is rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and people are trying to distract him and people are trying to take him away from it. And this is what he says in Nehemiah 6.3. They're trying to get him to come down to take him away from the work and he says, I am doing a great work, I can't come down. I don't want the work to stop while I leave to meet you. In other words, he said, why would I leave the wheat to go down and talk to you weeds? I am doing a great work. And you are doing a great work. You might not think it, but God has put you here to do a great work. But what the enemy will try to do is get you distracted with criticism and negativity and other voices. And you know what you need to say? It's just a weight. It's just a weight. I'm going to focus on the weight. I'm going to keep digging. I'm going to keep planting. I'm going to keep sowing. I'm going to keep watering. Some things are still taking root and you don't know how they're going to turn out. And you know what? There's times when you think it's a weed, but it turns out to be wheat. From your perspective, you look at a situation or you look at a person or you look at something that's happening in your life and you go, there's nothing good in that. And then six months later, you go, thank goodness I didn't rip that out. Because God was doing something. And if I had ripped that out, I would have missed the blessing. Some of you have heard me tell this story before. Holy Week, when I was a, a, a curate and assistant minister in Lurgan, I'm nearly I'm finished here. I was, uh, it was the time when the, the, I was the assistant, but there was no rector, there was no main minister. And in and, and Lurgan, they do the Holy Weeks as joint services where one minister from each church speaks on a different night. And because uh, there was no, no rector, I was asked to take one of the nights in, in High Street Presbyterian. And so I'd be preaching not only in front of people from every church in the town, but all the clergy in the town as well. Um, and I was a bit nervous, and then that day didn't make it any better when I came down with the flu. That was the days when flu was a real thing. We haven't had flu in three years. Um, <laughs> but uh, when, when flu was a thing, um, I came down with the flu, and I thought, I have to preach tonight. I've got the flu, man flu. Uh, what am I going to do? Uh, and I started taking, uh, you know, I started taking, like, uh, ProPlus, because I needed energy, and I started taking uh, uh, sulpidine to take away the X and pains, and I started, and by the end of the day, I was like a junkie. You know what I mean? Like, by the time I got in there, I was like somebody who was on crack cocaine, and uh, I'd, I'd, I'd OD'd a little bit on, on, on over-the-counter medication, and I got up to preach that night, and I don't know what happened, but, like, it was just a train wreck. Like, it was awful. I was like, uh, you know, I mean, you're like a bit like this morning, yeah. Um, no, it, it was, I re- like, honestly, it was one of those ones where I sat down and I remember uh, Maureen Hutchinson, I think it was, uh, the late Roland Hutchinson's wife looked over at me and went, are you all right? Um, and I went, was it that bad? And she just smiled and went, there'll be other sermons. Um, and, uh, and I went home that night so discouraged and embarrassed myself in front of the other clergy and embarrassed myself in front of the people in the town. And it was one of those nights where I thought, I never want to preach again. And it was just one big fat weed. It was awful. That was Easter. That was Holy Week. Three months later during the summer, we had a team out in the community, mowing lawns, picking up litter, helping people. And they went to this lady's house and they said, is there anything we can do to help you? And she said, where are you from? And they said, we're from Shankill Parish. And they said, oh, she said, oh, is that the, the church with the, the, the young minister with the dark hair? And uh, she said, Laura Kenwell, who was a youth worker, said, Craig Cooney, she said, that's the guy. And, uh, 
And she said, do you know Craig? She says, no, I've never met him. But she said, he preached one night in Holy Week. And that was the night when I came to faith. And little did I know that this weed that I had stared at and obsessed at for three months was actually wheat that produced fruit in her life. But I didn't know that because I didn't give it time. And there's things in your life right now and they look like a mess, but they're a message. They look like a failure, but they're going to be fruit. They look like a weed, but this is a seed of salvation. They look like a disaster, but they're going to bring deliverance. It looks like rubbish, but it's going to bring a revelation of Jesus Christ. And yes, there is a time to deal with things. And that's where Jesus finishes his parable. He says, there will be a day when Jesus will come back. And he will deal with evil. And there will be heaven and there will be hell. And he's very clear about that. There's a separation that comes in the last day. I mean, look at what he says in Second Thessalonians 1. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to those who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed in heaven and blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So what I'm saying to you is that it's not about avoiding things. It's not that you never deal with things. There are some things that you need to deal with. It's not about being passive or procrastinating and saying, I'm never going to deal with that. There are some things you need to deal with, but there's some things you need to go, God, I'm just going to leave that to you. You see, in the world right now, our job is not to be weed hunters. It is to be gospel proclaimers. Our job right now is not to judge the world. Our job is to preach the gospel. And sadly, a lot of the church has spent its days pointing the finger at what's wrong rather than declaring what's right. And as a church, we believe in the word of God. We believe it is the truth of God. We believe it is infallible. But our job is not to go into this community and start pointing the finger at where everyone's doing something wrong. Our job is to sow, 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 sow. Because there might be piles of weeds, but if we keep sowing faithfully, there will also be plenty of fruit. Let's pray together. Father God, pray that through your word today you would have shown us just where you want to apply this in our hearts. I'm not even going to try to apply it because I believe the Holy Spirit has been doing it. For some of you it's in your marriage. You have become obsessed with the weeds in your spouse's life and the Lord has said I want you to start speaking to the wheat. For some of you, he's just saying something that you're dying to go in and sort out and get involved in. He said, just leave it alone. Just take your hands off it for now. Give it time. Give it time. Give it time. For some of you, that's with your children. They're going down a path and everything within you wants to control them, but they can't be controlled at this stage of their life. And the Lord is saying to you, give it time. Did you sow seed in them? Did you sow good seed in them? Trust that that seed will grow. Give it time. 
And for some of you, it's actually your own hearts. That you are so aware of your sin and your weakness and your failure and your faults that you've just become so paralyzed in the dealing with your sin and you're not actually doing anything else. And I want to say to you, yes, bring it to the cross and deal with it. But do not let the weeds in your life stop God producing fruit in your life. Jesus Christ said, it is finished. And your sin is not the deterrent to him bearing good fruit in your life. Because what he has put in you is a seed that will grow. So stop obsessing with your sin and start focusing on the goodness of Jesus Christ. Because he has so much he wants to do in your life and through you.